one who will come to our live broadcast. Funny thing is, when I say that, there's not actually anyone watching. <laughs> it does let YouTube know that this was a live broadcast. Or maybe, I don't know how it works, maybe people are watching as soon as I start broadcasting. I've never actually watched one of these live, obviously. So today we are on to chapter 8. And we are going to number 76. These are really interesting. I like these ones. Appamatika. Appamatiko. Appamatika. These are insignificant. Appamatika esa bikwe parihani. Or no, this. No, these. Parihani. No, this. Parihani means loss. Apamatika means of little, of little importance, of little measure, literally means of little measure, of little significance, a small matter, insignificant. This loss is insignificant, monks. That is to say, the loss of relatives. Etang patikitang bikwe patikitang patik I don't know what this word means. Nope. Anyway, um, I'm assuming it means the opposite of appamatika. Uh, he says the worst. Pa the worst that is the worst the worst of losses is the loss of wisdom leave it to the Buddha to, to just mess with our sense of priority you know to tell us Leave it to the Buddha to be the one to tell all those grieving widows and orphans, or the bereaved, to tell them their loss is insignificant. Buddhism works on really on a whole other level, apart from mundane concerns the most hardcore of religion. It's a shame that it's, it's, 
it's been watered down and and a lot of people a lot of buddhists focus on a sort of soft core version of buddhism that uh you know, focused on worldly things and social welfare you know, therapy stress relief and buddhism deals with on a whole other level beyond worldly concerns when you think about the Buddha story himself, what he went through, the losses that he went through, I mean, that's really the point, is this is so much bigger, so much more profound than just our ordinary concerns. We worry about the most ridiculous of things. And many we recognize as ridiculous. So we worry about a pimple. Uh, we worry about... Uh, our weight, we worry about what other people think of us, we worry about our grades, we worry about our employment, we worry about money. So, so we worry about things and we, we, we put an increasing uh, level of value on these things. So a pimple might, might be most ridiculous. You think, okay, well, it's not really worth worrying about. What other people think about me, though, well, that's a little bit more important. And then my study, and then my work, and money, and these kind of things. And way up here is our relatives, our own health, you know, our own life, the life of other people, our relationships, things that we believe have some sort of meaning, importance, worth worrying about, and that the loss is somehow significant. It's really not. This is the Buddha's teaching here. These things are still very insignificant. They're completely insignificant. There's no meaning. There's no value to that loss. Or if there is a value, it's far, far. There is, it's not that there isn't a value. It's just compared to things that are actually important, it's insignificant. I had a, I mentioned this before, I think, but when I was taking Buddhism in university, um, one of my friends who was a Catholic came up to me after a class once and just said, you know, Buddhism is just, it's such a, a, a relief. The idea that you could keep coming back again and again, you know, that you don't just have one chance. That's Buddhism. And it, it is, it's true, it, it really is a, a mind opener. It's a relief from all the worries and stresses, all the things we have. I mean, imagine being Catholic and having to worry about going to hell for eternity, you know? The things we worry about. Buddhism really blows the roof off of all that. Because in the face of eternity, what does it all mean? Even hell isn't terribly significant because it comes and it goes when you think of eternity when you think of time erasing all things you know it's not just that in a hundred years we're all going to be dead that's for sure but in a thousand years no one will remember us in a hundred thousand years there'll be no trace of us 
in a million years we won't, there will be no one the universe will be nothing like it is now and all of that is coming all of that is real all of that is in the near future million years goes by in a flash and then it comes again and again and it's not just a long time eternity is not just a long time what it means is that there can be no meaning to these things to some some event yeah, these things that we cry over that we mourn that we worry and fret about considered to be important there's only one category of things that can be important those are the things that we carry with them qualities wisdom it's the difference between worrying about the the ocean and how you're going to cross the ocean and worrying about the boat our lives are like an ocean the world the universe our experience of samsara is like an ocean and we worry about the the, the weather we worry about the direction And much more important is the boat, the ship, the vehicle. Wisdom is the vehicle. So we worry too much about the circumstances in our life. Oh, am I going to get this? Am I going to get that? If you get the things you want and you're not ready to to accept and, and to to own them, you know, to deal with them. When people wish for promotion, well, the question is, are you ready for a promotion? They wish for a relationship. Are you able to, you know, how are you going to deal with the things that you get? How are you going to live with them? Because always getting what you want is not the answer. If you're spoiled and the things that you get spoil you rotten, they end up being a curse. The only thing that's really important is how you respond, how you react, how you interact. Wisdom is the most important because it determines how you're going to interact with the things that you get. Loss of relatives, it's meaningless. Loss of wisdom, a person who has no wisdom, I'm not quite sure what is meant by loss of wisdom. But wisdom is not an easy thing to lose once you get it. It is possible mundane wisdom but still it's one of those things that's so valuable because um, because you can't lose it well it's hard to lose anyway it's not like concentration if you fix and focus your mind so that you never get angry and never get greedy you can do it but it's not as powerful as wisdom because it, it comes and it goes but wisdom is very deep and super mundane wisdom, the wisdom of a sotapanna even. Um, there's, no, there's no going back from that. But I think the point is the difference between wisdom and relatives. Don't worry so much about people 
right so much about even people you know it's a shock because there are many more things the other things the buddha could have could have compared it to they say even relatives which is one thing that we mourn the most right which is the one thing that in this life that we mourn the most if your father your mother your your child your sister your brother someone you love one of your relatives dies it's one of the worst right and what it says insignificant and then he says the same about wealth and the same about fame insignificant is the loss of wealth insignificant is the loss of fame the worst thing to lose is wisdom here's a quote here's a buddha, buddha quote and i want to look up this concept of losing wisdom what exactly does he mean by I mean, you can fall away from, just the point is you fall away from wisdom or you become you become lost. I bet the commentary does say, but I don't really have time to go through it. Anyway, the absence of wisdom is worst. Wisdom is most important, is the point here. Relatives, wealth, even fame. And then he says, therefore, you should train yourselves, thus we will increase in wisdom. It is in such a way that you should train yourself. You don't worry about your circumstances, even people. People come and go. There's no question that all the people we know are going to be separated from. We're born alone, we die alone, we're born alone, we die alone again and again. The people we're with, they come and they go. We're like, what is this? I think it's a poem or something. We're like trains passing in the night or something like that. The very brief time we have together. And yet we, get, we make the mistake of getting, it sounds cruel, I suppose, but we do make the mistake of getting attached. And as a result, we suffer. And that sounds like a terrible thing to say, but if you look at it from the point of view of a Buddha who sees people doing this again and again and again and again and remembers doing this again and again and comes to think, you know, what is the point? Is this really, you know, it seems worth it. It seems to us who can't remember anything that this one life is somehow rich, valuable. But if you look at it, Objectively, there's a lot of suffering in life. And then to do it again and again and again, you start to wonder what's the real, what's really the point. And with the precarious nature of human life and the potential to be reborn as an animal or in hell, it's actually quite scary because we don't know what we're going to be in our next life, which direction we're going to go. 
again because our vehicle is uncertain if we're fixed and focused uh, focused on our experiences our minds can easily become corrupted so we focus on wisdom how should we increase in wisdom the basic basic under the um, most basic fundamental wisdom that we're looking for is simply to see things as they are this is important to understand wisdom isn't theory that's not real wisdom we learned in the Visuddhimagga on Sunday that there's three types of wisdom sutta maya panya from from hearing that's what you hear me say or what you hear the Buddha say or you read tinta maya panya means from from thinking when you think and you use logic and reason but the third one bhavana maya panya comes just from seeing from watching what you learn about yourself when you meditate oh boy I've got anger and issues oh boy look at me hurting myself why am I doing that huh? seeing the nature of your mind seeing I'm hurting myself no one else is hurting me and and the wisdom uh, to see that the things that we cling to are not worth clinging to very simple wisdom in fact just knowing this is rising this is falling that's wisdom we we it's the difference between seeing things as they are and judging them when you don't know this is rising you know it as good as bad as me as mine and all the bad stuff comes all the problems come attachment aversion that kind of thing when you just know this is rising this is falling your mind is pure there's wisdom there you do it enough, it starts to be. It starts to sink in. Oh, this is just rising. Oh, I see. It's not really good or bad or me or mine. I don't have to control it. I don't have to force it. I don't have to be in charge. Pain, thoughts, emotions. None of these things are me or mine. None of them are good or bad. You start to see that to see that oh this is just pain this is just thoughts this is just this emotion and you start to let it go anyway so that's the little bit of dhamma for tonight we'll stop there and let's see if we have some questions robin robin you don't have to come here every night i know you know i don't have a day job so this is fine for me to come every night but please don't feel obligated to be here if some days you, you aren't, that's fine. I'll show up when I can, Bhante. Great. So someone sent me a question hmm. to ask you, hmm. and it is how to know in day-to-day -to, -day to practice where we have to stick to conventions and can't go with paramatta, like while reading, studying, and talking with someone. And I have to admit, I don't know what paramatta is. Paramatta, atta is missing a T there. Atta with two T's. Atta means means meaning or or nature. Meaning it really means. Parama means ultimate or highest. So paramatta dhamma is a dhamma in the highest sense or the highest meaning. It means it's ultimate reality. That's the translation of the word paramatta dhamma. So the abhidhamma deals in paramatta dhamma, real dhamma. The suttas deal in concepts. 
I deal with people, places, things. But the Abhidhamma just deals with qualities. If you read the Abhidhamma, it's, it's quite breathtaking uh, for a Buddhist. For anyone else, it just seems dense and unreadable and, and boring. But for a Buddhist, it's breathtaking. So learning about these Dhammas and lists and lists of different aspects of reality. Um, Right, so you don't have to stick to conventions. The re reality is still there. When you're talking to someone, your lips are moving. There's a feeling of that. There are thoughts going through your mind. There are emotions. You can be mindful of all of those, even while you're talking, in between. You know, the, the point is when you're reading, you're not trying to practice meditation. You're trying to imbibe some knowledge. So you can't meditate at the, at the moment when you're trying to understand something. But in between moments, you can be mindful, and especially in between sessions. So you do five minutes of studying, five minutes of meditation, or half an hour of meditating, five minutes of half an hour of studying, five minutes of meditating, that kind of thing. If you do breaks for meditation, or even just every moment that you remember to be mindful, just be mindful. You learned yesterday or the day before, um, a moment of goodness is is, is um, makes your life not a waste. No, we don't have any other questions. Just one and one more down below. There's oh. one more. Dante, is there a cumulative effect of wisdom over multiple births coming across the Dhamma in this life completely by chance? Seems complete by chance. Probably not by chance, but it could be. Things can just conspire to come together, but usually not, you know. No, and, and I think an Orthodox Buddhist would, would scold me for even suggesting it. But because there's so many things that have to come together. You have to be born a human. You have to be born a human in the time of the Buddha. You have to have all your good faculties. You, know, you have to be able to understand, and you have to not be sickly and weak. Or, or, or worse, be corrupt of mind. And then you have to have the, the opportunity. You know, to just, seems like just a chance, right? Like I have four brothers, I have three brothers. None of them are really interested in Buddhism or spirituality, even the way I am. I mean, they all seem like nice people, and I suppose I can understand the different ways in which we've connected and probably were born together for those reasons, but none of them have sort of the inclination to, or ever had the inclination towards the sort of things that I have had an inclination for. So I wouldn't say it's, it's, um, I wouldn't say it's chance. You know, I mean, consider becoming a monk. If you look at all the people who try to become a monk, this isn't to brag because I'm, I'm nothing, you know, I'm not some special person, but there's a group of us who really had an easy time becoming monks, and those, that's those of us who are still monks. And it seems like we must have done something different in past lives because you know, I never wanted this role, but I never have. And it's just been, it's just never really been a, a, an issue in my mind. It's like as soon as I learned about becoming a monk, it was like, that's it, you know. But other people who have even even students of mine who have ordained, you can see there's something very different going on in their minds. They can't do it. They can't take it. They disrobe very quickly. 
or or after some time, you know, they just can't take it. That's not to say that, you know, but uh, I, I would say very little of what we come across in our lives is most likely coincidence. Sure, it's, you know, it's hard to predict and it's complex, but the big themes of our lives are, are probably very much associated with past lives. So, but simply to answer your question, wisdom, of course, has an effect over multiple births. I mean, wisdom has an effect on the future. The future includes next lives. So everything we do affects our future in some way or another, big or small. And it's more complicated, you know, they, they are, the effects affect each other. The effects affect each other. Huh. So that's it, two questions. Must have answered them all already. I think so. You had a lot of questions the last few nights, so. That's fine. I mean, I'm not, I'm not really concerned about getting questions. It's nice when they come, but. I was thinking, you know, this is really, really this is for my one meditator who's here. And, and when meditators come, we'll, more meditators come, this is a chance to, for me to give them a little bit of Dhamma every day. So the fact that I'm broadcasting it is kind of actually secondary. I think that's fair to say. Even though you compare one person to hundreds and thousands of people who watch YouTube, my YouTube videos, maybe it's not fair to say then, but... It's a whole different issue because, as you know, doing the meditation course is on a whole other level, right? This is much more the important work that we're doing. It's very nice to listen to your Dhamma talks live, but it's nice to listen to them on YouTube as well. Here we have a new question. We do. Is the experience of attachment than suffering the loss required in order to rise above ignorance? No. The only thing that's required to rise above ignorance is seeing things as they are. Seeing that the things that you... Um, well, you know, not exactly, but the point is you have to have ignorance in order to let go of ignorance. And... It's actually a good question, but maybe not for the reason that you think. It's because um, you, know, you can have ignorance technically without craving, but I think that's just academic because ignorance leads to craving. We, we, we like and dislike things. We have partialities. Because we don't understand that things are impermanent, unsatisfying, uncontrollable. So all you have to do is see that things are impermanent, unsatisfying, and uncontrollable. And if you see that, that's considered the dispelling of ignorance. And as a result of dispelling that ignorance about things, about experiences, uh, you won't give rise to attachment. So it's not, it's not about suffering the loss. That's, that's all sutta and jinta, it's all thinking, you know. You think, yeah, you know, it's not worth clinging to because when I clung to it before I suffered, that's not really what we're talking about here. You don't have to see it like that. You just have to see that the things that you cling to are not worth clinging to. You see, I mean, you, you, or sorry, you have to see that the objects of experience are impermanent because they're impermanent, they're not worth clinging to. You, you don't have to cling to them to know that they're not worth clinging to. You'd, once you see them clearly, you'd think it would be absurd to cling to such a thing. 
Why? Because it comes and it goes. It's gone in a moment. It's really not the sort of thing that you could possibly cling to. Bhante, I think we missed one last yeah. night, or maybe it came in after we signed off, mm -hmm. but is it bad if you're a meditator and you don't get out that often and you don't socialize much? I've been told that it's unhealthy for me to do that. Bad if you don't, if you don't socialize? Right, no, bad if you don't go out. You know, the Buddha said, uh, yata eka tata brahma, or something, I don't know quite the, the grammar. Uh, one is like Brahma. Brahma means God. When you're alone, you're like Brahma. Yatha deva tatha dwe. Like the angels are two. So when you're together with another person, that's like being an angel. Three people is like a village. Four people or more, it's like the it's it's a it's an uproar like a commotion being alone is great if you don't socialize don't worry about it I don't think it's fair to say that you become a more I mean you have to find I, I suppose that's not quite fair to say because the question is if you're alone what are you doing so just being alone in and of itself is not good uh, or is not, not good it may not be bad but there's nothing good about it um, it depends what you're doing alone. The point is that being alone allows you to do much more uh, soul-searching, so to speak, so learning about yourself. And that's what's important about being alone. Uh, you can't easily do that when you're with that. But, but being with, with good people, on the other hand, can encourage you to spend time alone when you have good friends. But not socializing. No, I think it still stands because if you're talking about getting out and socializing, it's a secret that most people don't know. It's not really worth it. And this idea that somehow socializing is going to make you happy, it's really not. It's just going to make you all neurotic, worried about what other people think of you, and addicted to company and enjoyment and pleasure and even drugs and alcohol and all sorts of things. I, th I think the person that asked that question is is one of our younger meditators, and mm. that's something that happens. You know, families worry about mm. you that you're not uh -huh. going out and doing. Tell them, tell them it's okay. You're Buddhist. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, in that case, I don't know how well that would go over in most families. All right. Well, if you have more questions, you know where I'll be tomorrow. And good night, everyone. Thank you, Bhante. Good night. <laughs>